Chapter 7 of The Photographer's Evidence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dory Smith. The Photographer's Evidence by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 7. The Mystery of George Snell. Nick Carter had said goodbye to his bright young assistant at about half past ten of the evening. He gave little further thought to the case that night for he knew that it was in good hands. I shall probably hear from the boy in the morning, he thought, as he went to bed. No message came from Patsy in the morning, because the young man had been too much occupied in watching Snell and Leonard in the Jersey City station to send one. But a message came from Dinsmore that gave Nick a bit of a surprise. It was as follows. Important robbery just reported. Don't know if it is the one you referred to last night, but it is very important and mysterious. Wish you would come on. Nick took the next train for the West. Dinsmore's telegram was sent from Manchester, the capital of Winona, and there, of course, the detective went. The journey was without incident and was made as rapidly as possible considering that there were no through trains between New York and the distant Canadian town. Dinsmore met him at the station. I've got a telegram for you, he said, as soon as they had shaken hands. It was forwarded from New York after you left. Nick opened and read it. It was the one Patsy had sent from Chicago to say that he was going with Snell to Helena. All right, said Nick. Now what's the case? It was reported by the lieutenant governor, replied Dinsmore, Governor Bradley being away. His absence makes the thing very peculiar, and I don't understand it at all. How you should know in New York that a robbery had taken place in Manchester before anybody here suspected such a thing is quite a mystery. I believe, responded Nick, that I begin to see how that happened. But go on. Some state papers have disappeared. That's it. And that's what makes me suppose it is the same affair that you seem to have in mind when you telegraphed from New York. Anything else? Do you mean anything else stolen? Not that I'm aware of, but the papers are very important. I thought you ought to come on as you seem to know something of the matter. I'm afraid I don't, but I'm interested. You say there's been no abduction or kidnapping? I didn't say so, but I know of no such case. Well, tell me all you know about the loss of the papers. That's very little. The lieutenant governor called me up late in the night you telegraphed me. In fact, I think it was about two hours after I had sent my answer. Dinsmore, said he, there's been a very strange robbery or something that looks very much like it. Some papers that cannot be of value to ordinary thieves, but for which the government would pay a handsome reward, have disappeared. I asked him when they were taken. I've no idea, he answered. I only discovered the loss this afternoon. Then I asked him why he had not called on me sooner. Because, he replied, we've been hunting high and low for the papers. We supposed they must be somewhere in the government building, but we've looked everywhere. They're gone, and that's all there is to it. I thought of your telegram, Nick, but said nothing. After I had asked the usual questions about where the papers were kept and so forth, I inquired if he had any suspicions. The questions seemed to make him uneasy. I cannot suspect anybody, he replied. I remembered you, Nick, and I said, that means that you suspect everybody. What did he say to that? asked Nick. Huh. He smiled in a queer way and simply said, well, of course I pressed him to be frank with me, but didn't succeed at first. 
Finally, though, he let the cat out of the bag in a kind of roundabout way. I saw that he actually suspected Governor Bradley himself. Well, exclaimed Nick, that's rather interesting. Yes, and mysterious. I'll tell you a fact or two without stopping to say how I squeezed them from the lieutenant governor. Some six or seven weeks ago, a man unknown here called on Governor Bradley. We know his name was Leonard and that he and the governor had been in some sort of business deal together years before. That much is known because a part of their conversation was accidentally overheard. Nobody thought anything of it at the time, of course, for it all seemed natural and straight enough. The lieutenant governor heard Leonard asking about some papers of some kind. They're safe, Governor Bradley told him. That's all well enough for you to say, Leonard responded, but I'd rather keep them myself than I'd know. Dinsmore paused. Does anyone know what the governor said to that? asked Nick. He was heard to say something to the effect that that would give Leonard the whip hand. The men were evidently on bad terms, and that is all that is known of the matter. Now, some time later, it is rather more than three weeks ago, Governor Bradley left town. He hasn't been back since. Is there anything strange in that? Not exactly. He went away openly enough, told everybody that he was tired and needed rest. That was natural. He also told the lieutenant governor secretly that he was going to travel without letting anybody know where he was. I don't want to be bothered with letters, he said. That was natural enough, too, wasn't it? I suppose so. But just now, the lieutenant governor is putting two and two together, and I can see that he is suspicious. He hasn't said so in so many words, you understand, but that's what he feels just the same. You haven't told me all, Dinsmore. Not quite. Governor Bradley told the lieutenant governor that he would manage to be within reach at all times, but that his movements and address must be kept private. I will take the name of George Snell, said he, and keep you informed where you may telegraph to me if anything of real importance comes up. So, for some days, Lieutenant Governor received a telegram every day saying, Snell, Auditorium, Chicago, or Snell, Planters, St. Louis, and so forth. Then there was a break of a few days, after which came word that Snell was at the Fifth Avenue Hotel, New York. Meantime, nothing had happened that the Lieutenant Governor couldn't attend to alone. Then came the discovery that papers were missing. As soon as it was certain that the papers had disappeared, the lieutenant governor telegraphed the fact to Snell and told him in the same message that the matter would be placed in my hands. If the lieutenant governor had thought twice, he would have called me up before wiring to Bradley, alias Snell. But he didn't think quick enough. And since that time, not a word has been heard from Snell. And there you are. I see, said Nick. It's very interesting. When does the next train go to Helena, Montana? To Helena? There's no direct train to that point, in any case. But what the mischief do you want to go there for? Because that's where Governor Bradley is, or where he went. I think, Dinsmore, that I shall have to hunt for your governor, as well as for the thieves who stole the papers. I hope I may find the governor alive. Good gracious, what? Look up the trains, please. I want to catch the first that goes. With a wondering face, Dinsmore studied a railway guide for a few minutes. Presently, he looked at his watch. There's a train in a half an hour, he said. 
that will get you pretty well started and you can probably make connections that will take you through so as to reach Helena in about 30 hours. Will that do? How can I tell? I must take that train, and I think, Dinsmore, it would be well if you should come along, too. I'll do it, gladly. Anything to do to get ready? No. Let's start for the station, then. They went out, and on the way, Nick asked, Dinsmore, do you know anybody in Manchester whose name is Cecil West? Slightly, replied Dinsmore, friend of yours. No, I never saw him. What sort of a man is he? Tip-top, from all I hear. Not rich, you know, but honest and industrious. First-rate fellow, every way. By the way, he's in love with the governor's daughter, Estelle. So? Yes, and the old man won't have him. He sent the girl away so as to keep them from meeting. The governor sent his daughter away, did he? That's what I hear. She dropped out of sight after a big party at the governor's house some five weeks ago, and it is understood that she was packed off to visit a distant aunt or something in the hope that she would forget young West. I wonder if West hears from her, mused Nick. If he does, he doesn't say so. Of course not. Nothing more was said on this subject, and Dinsmore did not suspect what was in the detective's mind. Nick asked one other question about the case. I understand that nothing has been reported except a theft of government papers. Is that right? Yes, and I have wondered a little, for in your telegram to me you mentioned jewelry. I did. I heard some was taken. Nick, said Dinsmore, who gave you the tip about all this? The detective looked his old friend in the eyes for a moment and answered quietly, Governor Bradley. The deuce you say! Why didn't you jump on the case? Because I didn't know till I arrived in Manchester that it was the governor who called on me. He said his name was Snell. I doubted it, but I had no suspicion as to who he really was. I could see that he was holding some facts back, and that made me turn him down. That was where Bradley made a bad mistake. The detective and Dinsmore made good connections and arrived in Helena at six o'clock in the evening of the following day. They began at once to trace the men they wanted to find. Dinsmore made inquiries for a man answering the description of Governor Bradley. Nick, knowing that Patsy must have come to Helena, hunted for some trace of him. He had the more difficult task, for Patsy, of course, had been disguised when he arrived in the town and, as Nick presumed, he changed his disguise almost daily. Calculating from the telegram, Nick reckoned that Patsy must have reached Helena on a certain day and by a certain train. He asked men employed at the station about the passengers who arrived on that day. From one, he got a tip as to a man who might be Patsy, who left his grip at the station and walked away. The grip was sent for later, the man said, and was taken to a street that he named. Nick went to that street. He walked the length of it twice. There was no good hotel on it, but several boarding houses and any number of saloons. Among others was Bronco Bill's. Nick looked at it each time he passed. It was not the first one he entered, but after dropping in at two or three other places, he entered Bronco Bill's place just as the proprietor was telling a customer about a shooting scrap that had taken place there recently. They wanted to make the tenderfoot dance, said Bill, grinning. But darn me if he didn't make them dance and holler afore he got through with them. Such shooting I never did see. I thought twould be the last of Bronco Bill's house, 
but the young stranger just brought them crazy galoots to their senses in no time. Say, he hit a dime, and Bill went on to tell the whole story. Patsy, said Nick to himself, as he slowly put down a glass of beer at the other end of the bar. I wonder how long it will take Dinsmore to follow his trail to this joint. Nick sat down to wait and had supper meantime. Shortly after nine o'clock, Dinsmore came in, looking sour and hopeless. Ah, there you are, said he. I've been looking for you. Why didn't you come here then, asked Nick. Because I didn't expect to find you here. I seemed to trace a man who looked like the governor to this hole several times. Plenty said they'd seen such a man hanging around, but the governor wouldn't put up in such a place, not he. It's where he put up just the same, said Nick. Who told you? I guessed it. My assistant has been here, and he wouldn't stay in such a place either unless there was business in it. The business that brought Patsy here was... Nick did not finish. Instead, he caught up a newspaper and held it in front of Dinsmore. Read it, he whispered, and don't show your face. Four men were coming in from the street. One of them was the man whom Nick had known as George Snell. As the detective was now disguised, he did not hesitate to show his face. It looked, however, as if his disguise would have been unnecessary, for Snell walked quickly across the room and out by a door in the back. One of the four went with him. The other two stepped up to the bar and called for drinks. Snell came back in a short time with the man who had gone out with him. Have something? asked the man at the bar. No, replied Snell. Let's be going. The four then went out at once. Great Scott, whispered Dinsmore. That was Governor Bradley's voice. Of course it was, replied Nick. Come on. They kept on the track of the four men and followed them to a house in a quiet street. There was a light in the kitchen windows. Crooked work here, whispered Dinsmore. Sure, replied Nick. We must get a line on it if possible. They had not gone very near the house, presuming that there might be men on guard who would give warning to the others. It seemed best to try to get at the kitchen windows from behind and, accordingly, they went around to another street, through a yard and over a fence. This took some time, but the lights were still there and all was quiet within. Although the curtains were down, they managed to get a glimpse inside through a small hole. It was just enough to show many tough-looking men around a table with Snell in the middle. He was counting out a big roll of bills. Buying back the papers, whispered Nick, and paying the ransom for his daughter. What? You don't mean... Miss Bradley was kidnapped. That's what I mean. Ah, uh, if the governor had had the sense to tell me the whole truth, Nick was thinking. There are a good many of them, whispered Dinsmore. Shall we go to headquarters for a squad of police? No, they'll be through in a minute. We must make a bluff, and they'll think they're surrounded. You go to the front door, and I'll tackle them here. End of chapter 7. Recording by Dory Smith.